0: Chapter 19, Penderwinkle's Place The following morning, Perry Penderwinkle awoke at sunrise, packed up his belongings, and changed into a nondescript pair of matching grey sweatpants and sweatshirt with a navy blue stocking cap. Nesson was still passed out in the corner of Perry's office when he peeked his head in the door to check on him. Penderwinkle crept into the room, gingerly opening the closet door to stow away his extra clothes and bedding material. Once the task was complete... Perry tiptoed out of the room, shutting the door quietly behind him, before taking the elevator down to the street. Twenty minutes later, Perry Penderwinkle was standing on Thompson Street, two blocks south of his apartment building. The streets were quiet as they always were this early in the morning. A handful of cars lined the block on the right side of the street. Perry counted only seven, and the next block up looked to have only three or four. If Marcus was staking out Penderwinkle's place in one of these cars... It would be easy to spot him. Penderwinkle had dressed in the outfit of someone going for a morning jog. It seemed a rather inconspicuous choice, as this neighborhood seemed to be filled with them. And the early morning seemed to be when all of them preferred to run. Perry was not, nor had he ever been, a runner. He had hated it as long as he or any of his friends could remember. The last thing Marcus would be looking for was Perry Penderwinkle out on a morning jog. At least, that's what Perry hoped. He would make a few laps around the block, checking the streets for anyone or anything suspicious, before entering his apartment. The hard part, of course, would be the running. Perry leaned against the wall of a building as he stretched, or at least did his best attempt at stretching. The last time he had run, he truly could not remember. Certainly a decade, two decades, did not seem implausible. He went down, reaching for his toes, guessing that this stretch must be good for something... If this running ends up being the thing that kills me, Perry thought as he turned the corner and commenced his running. Arms swinging, a look of focus in his eyes, Penderwinkle jogged up the sidewalk as if it was just another part of his morning routine. Inside, it took all of thirty seconds before he had convinced himself he was going to keel over on the sidewalk. The running was terrible enough, but one thing Perry had not anticipated was the extra weight and inconvenience of running with a cast on his arm. Only three more blocks, Perry, he told himself. Then you can turn the corner and rest for a few minutes before you turn around and subject yourself to more of this torture. At the same moment he reminded himself that he was not only running but checking the nearby streets and cars for anything suspicious. He finished his first pass and took a right on West Houston, at which point he immediately stopped his running, gasping for air. He felt as if he'd barely taken a breath since he started running less than two minutes ago. "'Surely I haven't been holding my breath this whole time?' he wondered. "'Of course not, but it sure feels like it.' "'Already his head was damp under the stocking cap, "'beads of sweat dripping down his forehead, fogging up his glasses. "'If you'd told Perry right then that he'd been running for ten minutes, he'd believe you. "'His wristwatch, however, told a different story. "'It had been barely two minutes that he'd spent running. "'Why on earth would anyone do this to themselves?' Perry allowed himself five more minutes of rest before he sluggishly, against all better judgment, turned around and proceeded to run back the way he came. The journey was no less difficult on the way back, perhaps even more trying, as Penderwinkle felt one of his calf muscles beginning to cramp up. He was neither willing nor able to run this route a third time, and so Perry headed straight for his apartment building, still keeping an eye out as he ran. But when he arrived at his destination, there was nothing out of the ordinary to report, so he slipped in the front door and headed toward the back of the building, where he would change into his Perry Penderwinkle office worker clothes and head to work at the regularly scheduled time. 7.30 came around quicker than Penderwinkle had anticipated. He chose the laundry room at the end of the hall on the ground floor to make his transformation. It proved quite difficult to peel himself out of his sweaty clothes, stow them away, and change into clean work clothes, all while making sure not to be seen by any of the building's other tenants. Due to his unforeseen delay, Perry was struggling frantically to slip on his shoes as he hobbled down the hallway toward the street, while he simultaneously did his best to correctly fasten his necktie. One of his heels would not make its way into the shoe as he stepped outside the door onto the sidewalk. He had made the all-too-common mistake of believing he could slip his foot into his work shoes without untying them. As his left foot was slightly smaller than the right, he was able to wiggle it in, but not so the right foot. And so, with a great deal of exasperation, he bent down and unlaced the strings, finally able to slip his foot into the confounded shoe. Perry Penderwinkle never got to tying that shoe, for at that moment, as he slipped his right foot into its shoe, he happened to glance only for a moment, Up the block, a bus was coming up the street, but it was not the bus that caught Perry's eye. It was the man just past the bus, not two blocks up, and that man was making his way toward Perry at a brisk walk. Marcus, without the slightest hesitation, Perry ran, like a gazelle that suddenly spots an approaching lion. Perry's running was a survival instinct. It was a fight-or-flight response, completely out of his control. He only hoped, as he ran, that he had enough of a lead on Marcus that he could escape. This was not the moment Perry had expected a confrontation, and most certainly was not ready for it. Not here. As he raced down the block, he racked his brain for any kind of plan. Perry had the advantage, he thought. Marcus did not know this city. Not as well as Perry. It should be easy to lose him if Perry could just get out of Marcus's sight for a few moments." It was then that Perry decided his course of action, and he made for the subway. If he moved quickly enough, he could lose Marcus on the trains. Marcus would not know instinctively which trains were uptown or downtown, local or express. And if he was able to keep tabs on Perry all the way through the crowd of commuters, there would be at least some safety once on the train. The trains would be packed... It was rush hour and there was little Marcus could do to parry in such a public place without the danger of drawing the attention of dozens of other passengers. Penderwinkle approached the steps leading down to the subway and weaved through the swarm of people also trying to walk down the narrow staircase to the train. He nearly tripped over his untied shoelaces as he hastily descended into the station, rushing through the turnstile before turning back to check on his pursuer. He did not see him. Perhaps he'd lost him back on the street. But no, he was coming down the staircase, though he was stuck at the moment, behind an elderly woman slowly pushing her rolling laundry basket down the stairs. Marcus looked past her, toward the turnstile, and for the first time since that night at the apartment, the night Margaret had been murdered, Perry locked eyes with Marcus Ingram. Surprise registered on Marcus's face, followed by rage, Penderwinkle turned on his heels and ran for the uptown six-train platform. Racing down another flight of steps toward the platform, Perry was struck with another idea. He could hear the rumble of another train approaching the platform, but not this one. It was coming on the downtown side of the platform. He lurched to a stop, searching for the staircase that would lead him to the other side of the tracks. He spotted it to the left, toward the end of the platform. Perry scurried past the waiting passengers... "'packed as tight as sardines on the narrow platform as they waited for their train. "'He could see the lights from the downtown train across the tracks "'as it exited the tunnel and started pulling into the station. "'He pushed past the last stubborn clump of morning commuters "'and reached the stairs to the underpass. "'Running with all his might, his legs and side aching, "'his heart pounding so hard that he thought it would burst, "'Perry Penderwinkle sprinted down the steps across the narrow, tiled hallway.' and up another set of steps, reaching the downtown platform, right as a steady new stream of passengers began pouring out. Forgetting all subway etiquette, Perry pushed past those in front of him, shoving his way into the closest subway car as passengers were still attempting to exit the train. Aside from a number of dirty looks and one woman who gave Penderwinkle a hard shoulder as she exited, he experienced no other resistance entering the train car. Now was the moment that Perry feared the most, Did Marcus stick close enough behind and follow him up to this platform? The doors closed, and Marcus was nowhere to be found in the train car. Perry stood near the door, opposite the side of the train he entered. The train slowly pulled forward, out of the station, and as it did, Perry recognized a familiar figure across the tracks, scanning the platform for him. Perry Penderwinkle had outsmarted his old friend. At least, for now. CHAPTER 20 PERRY'S PEST Switching trains may have saved Perry an encounter with Marcus, but it did not help him to get to work on time. In fact, Perry was nearly twenty minutes late when he finally arrived in the office. Much to his relief, no one seemed to even notice his late arrival. They seemed much more interested in the mess they'd all discovered in the kitchen, not to mention the vomit and pile of half-eaten food that was found on poor Travis Vandenberg's desk this morning. They could talk of nothing else as Penderwinkle entered the office. One woman suggested the cleaning woman as a culprit, and another man suggested it was an intern from the floor below. Penderwinkle chuckled to himself as he walked to his office. The real culprit was a far more surprising one, Perry thought. Poor, miserable Martin Nissen. What a night he must have had. Perry casually swung open his office door, and as he stepped inside, who should he find still lying asleep in the corner of his office? It was none other than Martin Nesson, covered in his own vomit, snoring away as he had been earlier this morning. Penderwinkle shook his head in bewilderment, shutting the door loudly behind him. Nesson stirred ever so slightly, granting Perry momentary reprieve from the obnoxious snoring. Then Perry walked to his desk, lifted his briefcase into the air, and unceremoniously dropped it onto his desk with a loud thump. Martin Nesson's eyes shot open, and he immediately sat up. Penderwinkle watched as Nesson struggled to get his bearings, looking down at the floor, at his soiled clothes, at the room in which he now found himself, and finally, at Perry. It took a second before Nesson recognized Perry or even where he was, for that matter. But then it dawned on him, and Penderwinkle thought he could see Nesson slowly remembering the events of the previous night. Nesson scrambled to his feet, staggering as he did so and grabbing his head. He stabilized himself with one arm against the wall as he seemed to decide which would come first, speaking or vomiting. Nesson chose the latter, and all over Perry's carpet, much to his chagrin, Penderwinkle thought he himself might be sick as he observed Nesson bent over, dry heaving into the carpet. "'Martin, my good man, may I ask you what in heaven's name is going on?' Perry inquired, doing his best attempt at outrage. "'Whatever are you doing in my office? And why have you vomited all over my carpet? I hope it's not contagious, whatever you have.' Nesson lifted a finger as if to speak, but then immediately reached for Perry's waste-paper basket and was sick again." Penderwinkle could only watch in pity at the strange little man as he continued to burp and retch into his wastebasket for the next two minutes. Shall I call you a doctor, Nesson? Perhaps it would be best if you took the rest of the day off. I'm sure we can all manage without you for the day. Lord knows you're in no shape to work this morning, Penderwinkle sympathized. I'm afraid I've had a bit too much to drink, Mr. Penderwinkle. I hope you won't tell anyone, Nesson confided. He put his hand up to his mouth as if he was going to retch again. But after a moment, he continued on with great effort. "'I'm sorry you have to see me like this, Perry. I swear it's not a normal occurrence for me. And how on earth I ended up in your office. I haven't the slightest. I'll send someone in right away to clean this up. You can use my office for the rest of the day. I won't be needing it,' Nesson reassured him. "'Don't trouble yourself, Martin. I'll just take one of the desks out in the main area today.' "'It's only one day, and I'll be back in here tomorrow once it's cleaned. "'Don't worry about it. "'But I do think it would be best if you went home for your sake,' "'said Perry as he began opening his office door, "'hoping Nesson would get the hint. "'You're probably right, Perry. "'I'm no use here today anyway. "'Oh, I'm so ashamed. "'Nesson, you idiot,' he said aloud. "'And look at me. "'Dried puke all over me. "'I look like death.' "'Perry's phone rang suddenly.' "'A welcome interruption,' he thought. "'Nesson groaned, holding his hand over his head "'as Parry walked over to his desk and lifted the phone to his ear. "'Hello, this is Perry," he said as Nesson continued to stand in his office. "'A woman's voice greeted him. "'Good morning, Mr. Penderwinkle. It's Rosemary Blasson. "'Your friend Mr. Cranley called for you this morning before you got in. "'He was insistent on speaking with you as soon as you arrived, "'and I told him you'd be in after eight she relayed to Perry. Cranley again. Perry may as well call him back once he got Nesson out of his office. Thank you, Rosemary. I'm in the middle of something at the moment, but I'll call him back before the end of the hour, Penderwinkle assured her. Mr. Penderwinkle, he said he'd call back again in another ten or fifteen minutes. If he calls again, should I relay the message that you're busy and tell him you'll call him back later then? She queried. Penderwinkle rolled his eyes in annoyance. "'Oh, Rosemary, that's quite all right. "'If he calls again, you can send him through to me. "'I'll be sure not to miss him this time. "'Thank you.' "'Perry hung up the phone and turned to Martin Nissen, "'who was now gazing out one of the large windows, "'surveying all the buildings and people far below. "'Well, Martin, I'm sorry to push you out like this, "'but I really do have a great deal of work to get done this morning. "'On top of that, I'm expecting a call from an important client "'in the next few moments.' Do you need anything else before you leave? I can handle calling the cleaning staff if that's what you're worried about, Perry suggested. Perry, I had the strangest dream last night. Nesson began as if he had not heard a word Penderwinkle had just spoken. Perry said nothing, in hopes that not encouraging him would make Nesson leave sooner. But Nesson was completely oblivious to everything else around him at the moment. He was consumed with his own thoughts. I dreamed I was stumbling around the office last night. "'That, perhaps, wasn't a dream,' he said as if to himself. "'But I found myself in this building, and I stumbled into the break room. "'I found a fridge filled with food, and I devoured it all. "'I couldn't stop myself. "'My appetite was insatiable, Perry. "'And then I was searching for a place to sleep, and I found this office. "'But there was something strange that happened when I entered your office. "'I felt as if...' Nissen trailed off, unsure of how to say what he was going to say next.' Perry shifted uncomfortably as he listened. Martin Nesson had been blackout drunk, or so he thought. I felt as if I was being watched, Perry, almost as if there was another presence in the room or another person. But only briefly. I was frightened. I didn't know what to do, and so I pretended to fall asleep. A few minutes later, it was gone. I swear, though, that I saw something move in the shadows. A person... I thought it might have been my imagination or a hallucination, maybe from all the alcohol. But it was so real, so clear. Penderwinkle felt his gut turning. He had been careless last night, and it seemed he had underestimated Martin Nesson. Like you said, Martin, you were quite drunk. It was likely a hallucination. Alcohol can play funny tricks on the brain. Martin Nesson turned from the window and looked at Perry, a worried expression on his face. Yes, Perry, but you see, when I woke up this morning, there was someone in the office, he said ominously. Nesson was staring directly into Penderwinkle's eyes, unblinking. Perry could see the fear in the man's eyes. There was a light knock on Perry's door. Both he and Nesson turned to look. In a meeting, come back in ten, Penderwinkle called out before he returned again to Nesson. And though he dreaded the answer, he asked, And who might that have been, Martin? Who did you see in this office? Nesson gulped hard before he managed to get out. It was you, Perry. I saw you. Perry Penderwinkle stared back at him in silence, his face impassive. I know how I ended up here last night, but what I can't figure out is... is what you would have been doing here in the middle of the night. And why on earth would you have stayed here... Nesson questioned, now with more suspicion in his voice. I'm afraid, Nesson, that your mind was playing tricks on you. Penderwinkle lied, managing a good-natured chuckle. I was nowhere near this office last night, or early this morning, for that matter. My days of late nights and early mornings at the office are long over, I'm happy to say. Martin Nesson looked at Perry Penderwinkle, slightly disappointed. Perry could see that his easy dismissal of Nesson's claims had caused the man to doubt his own memory. Nesson furrowed his brow, shaking his head. But I swear I saw you, Perry. At least, I did this morning. I may be hung over and have a splitting headache, but my mental faculties are still intact. He doubled down. Yes, I know I saw you, Perry. I'm sure of it. Why were you sleeping in one of the offices? I don't understand. Nesson asked in bewilderment. Another knock on the door. Perry Penderwinkle's anger was beginning to rise to the surface now. "'I said I'm in a meeting. Come back later!' he shouted toward the door. Nissen was clearly flustered by Perry's outburst, and his face showed it. He took one step back cautiously. This was the first time Penderwinkle had let his temper get the better of him at work. "'Martin, listen to me,' Penderwinkle instructed, all politeness now out of his voice. "'I was not here last night.' I was not sleeping here early this morning. You were drunk, and your memory is clearly faulty. You were dreaming or hallucinating, and that is all. Now, I think the best thing you can do for yourself is to go home, take an aspirin, clean yourself off, and take a long nap. And when you come back tomorrow, we can pretend this incident never happened. I'll not tell anyone that I discovered our supervisor asleep in my office when I arrived this morning, and you can drop all this nonsense about me sleeping in the office after hours. Martin Nesson did not respond. In fact, he did not even appear to be listening any more. Instead, his eyes were fixed on something behind Perry. Nesson's face went from an expression of confusion to horror as Penderwinkle heard his office door creak shut behind him. When was the door opened? Perry Penderwinkle turned around, involuntarily letting out a gasp when he saw the figure standing inside his office, a small pistol in his left hand. Hello, old chap, said Marcus Ingram, a wry smile spreading across his face. Chapter 21, Penderwinkle's Peril Perry Penderwinkle was trapped. For the second time today, he had underestimated someone. Marcus Ingram stood between Perry and the room's only exit, and there was also the problem of the gun resting in Marcus's hand, a silencer fitted on to the end. Perry could shout, but it would do him little good. Marcus had been far more bold and far more reckless than anticipated. The fact that he had walked into Penderwinkle's office in broad daylight, throwing caution to the wind, only proved the man's desperation. He had come for one reason, and he seemed little concerned with his own safety. There's no way out, Perry. Not this time. Marcus said calmly as he looked at Perry and then at Nesson. Who is this? Nesson shot an uncertain look at Perry and then looked back at Marcus. Martin, sir. Martin Nesson, regional manager of pro... Quiet, Nesson. Perry interrupted. He's no one, Marcus. Nothing to do with us. Right then. Over here, Martin Nesson. Marcus instructed impatiently, waving him closer with his pistol. Nesson stiffened, looking toward Penderwinkle for assurance. Perry gave him a nod as if telling him to do as he'd been told, and Martin Nesson walked forward shakily until he was standing in front of Marcus Ingram. Marcus looked him up and down, noticing the vomit on his shirt, his unkempt hair and disheveled clothing, the strong stink of alcohol on him. Well... You've done quite a number on yourself, and it's barely eight in the morning, he joked with a sympathetic smile. Rough night. Relaxing some, Nesson gave a weak smile. Yes, you could say that. But he never had the chance to finish as Marcus swung the butt end of his pistol across the side of Nesson's head, knocking him unconscious as his body crumpled to the floor. Marcus returned to Perry, whose face was stern, immovable. They stared at one another in silence for what seemed like an eternity. A test of wills to see who could bear the silence longer. Finally, it was Penderwinkle who spoke. "'Well, Marcus, you've found me at last. You make it sound as if it was a difficult task, Berry. Hardly. You've grown sloppy in your old age. I'm afraid it was quite easy, old friend,' Marcus said in return. "'So this is it, then?' I suppose it's quite poetic, Marcus, isn't it? Husband and wife brought to the same end by the same bloody man, Perry mused. Oh, oh, poor, poor Perry Penderwinkle, Marcus said with a laugh. Well, get on with it then, said Perry. And Marcus Ingram pulled the trigger. End of part one.